In this episode of the podcast, we meet Robert Harari, who is an associate at Evolution Venture Partners, a venture capital firm located in New York City. Robert is an entrepreneur and VC passionate about the future and the technology that takes us there. He's the co-founder and CEO of 1H. Additionally, he's number two at Evolution VC Partners, a leading culture tech venture capital firm investing into revolutionary companies that define our culture today and lay the foundation for where it's going. He's also currently invested in 150 plus portfolio companies from pre-seed through series H. But anyways, Robert, you know, you know, a few people in this room, I know, you know, Zach, and uh, we met on my Slack channel. So it's been a magical place where uh, I've been meeting new friends. Uh, You know, there's a book club in there. People have been talking about interesting things to read and share. Um, so it's been interesting to really build community. Um, and, and you just have a really interesting story. And that's why I'm excited to, to learn more about you. But we've got Robert Harari from Evolution uh, Venture Partners. I hope I pronounced that right. It almost, it almost rhymes with Ferrari. Yeah, so it, there's a big debate in my family. Is it Harari? Is it Harari? Half of us say Harari. Half of us say Harari. My grandpa says Harari, which doesn't nice. help anyone. Like, it, you know, so it's hard, to, it's hard to figure out exactly. But don't worry. So Harari is fine. Yeah, sounds cool. Um, but yeah, look, excited to learn a little more about your background. I think a couple of things that we can talk about is, um, you know, your origin story, you know, tell us a little more about your investment thesis there at Evolution Venture Partners. But, um, you know, I love how you teed this up for me, you know, from musician to um, creating content to, uh, to venture. So let's, let's jump right into it. Maybe you can start with where you grew up, uh, what you studied initially, and, um, you know, why you wanted to get into venture and, and how you did. Yeah. Um, yeah, definitely. So, um, kind of a little bit, um, a little bit about me. Yeah. So currently I'm number two at evolution VC partners. Um, you know, we're early investors in about 167 companies now, um, ranging from pre-seed all the way through series E we invest in what we describe as culture tech, which are technology products, services, et cetera, that you use and interact with every single day. Um, so, you know, some of the hits in the portfolio right now are, you know, Jewel, Sweetgreen, Beyond Meat, Intercom, Airtable, Via, Masterclass, Carta, and a number of other ones. So kind of really wide ranging portfolio in terms of, you know, what we like to get involved in. Um, and, you know, our kind of rule is if you are going to interact with it, or if it's going to power the thing that you're interacting with every day, we're probably really excited about it. And, you know, we'd love to learn more on it. Um, I guess from there, maybe I'll go backwards if that works too. Yeah. Um, and then we could talk about like breaking in and all of that. But, you know, before that, I was the founder of a company called 1H, um, which connected startups with investors from around the world on an online marketplace based on what they had in common. So we had you know, several hundred startups, several hundred investors on the platform and a fancy algorithm that pinpointed, you know, who was the best startup and who was the best investor for each. And we use that to automatically set up meetings between the two. Um, before that, I managed an angel group called Glass Horse Ventures. Um, it was an angel group of about 45 investors from around the world. Um, and I was at the time 18 um, and kind of running around managing all these things myself. Um, and then when I got to college and flying around the country, around the world with pitch deck in hand, trying to, you know, get everything to our, get everything to our investor network. Um, that's why I actually had the idea for 1H was I needed a website to actually streamline the process of connecting my startups with my investors. And then it kind of just blew up from there. Um, and then, you know, and before that, I was the youngest corporate VC in the US. Um, I was at Research Frontiers where I, you know, I headed up market development and our venture arm. Um, and I found my first deal, fun fact, in a detention 
um, which is, you know, its own separate story too. But that's, uh, that's kind of me, um, you know, in the backwards version. Mm-hmm. Um, the way that music and all that kind of played into it is music actually got me into marketing. I used to be a professional, you know, professional musician, um, but, you know, played a bunch of shows around Manhattan and stuff. And, uh, you know, I was starting to get really into the idea of marketing a product. I got really excited about it. And music was the first product that I marketed. And so when I was, you know, 15, 16, I started this little marketing firm um, with a buddy of mine and it ended up, you know, growing really well. And that kind of gave me my entry into marketing, which gave me my entry into venture capital. But that's kind of my, uh, that's kind of my story, you know, on the, on the resume side, mm-hmm. um, there's a ton of blood, sweat, tears, and literally all three of those things, um, in the middle of that. So, you know, I'm happy to dive in and share some horror stories or maybe share some tips on like what I've seen has been like the best methods I've seen to be able to break into venture and things like that yeah. too. Um, yeah, but, maybe, you, know, you tell me. Yeah. yeah, maybe we could double click on how you landed the role at the first venture fund. And, you know, what was some of the storytelling that you thought was critical, you know, from being a founder to um, transitioning into a VC? I guess, what were some of the things that they were looking for? And, and what do you think you really covered that, that helped to nail it? Yeah, well, the, um, I think the, um, in that scenario, it was a strategic investment. Mm-hmm. And so I saw opportunity to start to make strategic investments on behalf of the company, sure. to our time to market, to enter into new industries. Um, and so telling the story of how that happened internally probably isn't super helpful um, yeah. as much as telling the story of what happened right after my first deal closed, mm-hmm. um, which is right when I quit um, and decided I'm pursuing my life full-time in venture. Yeah. Um, what I became, uh, what I had seen uh, at Research Frontiers is how much positivity that investment had brought to our company, um, how much it sped up our time to be able to enter into, at the time, a new market, the architectural market, um, and how much it had done for the company to be able to have this additional capital in there and this public company partner and things like that. Um, and that got me fascinated by the world of the transaction and all the good things that you can do with the transaction. And that actually yeah. is the part of venture that, weirdly enough, I'm most excited about is the actual venture transaction. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so much so that I run a company right now called Deco, which literally just does nothing but create investor experiences for venture investors through these companies. So helping companies manage their debt, data room, um, additional collateral financial model, executive summary, yada, yada, and have that all managed and streamlined in, a <clears throat> in one place. So one thing that I became really interested in is all the value you could unlock when you're putting together a transaction sure, um, and how you can use that to win future deals. Um, and become this really, really exceptional VC partner. Um, so maybe that could help. So what had happened from there is I immediately left and I started this angel group of, um, of CEOs. Actually, mm-hmm. It was CEOs of different companies that to themselves saw this as a feeder um, for strategic yeah. M&A or investment opportunities for their larger group. So making these smaller things in industries that they already had domain expertise in um, and in turn, what I would do is I would tailor my deal flow to the investors that I was that I was sharing it with, because I knew that you know X Y Z company is you know if you're a branding and licensing and merchandising company, you probably have no interest in you know some you know far away you know rocket company, right? And sure. whereas you know if you're a former military contractor who runs a private defense firm, you might have some interest in that. Yeah. And so there's, you know, there's all these different ways that you could start to, you know, build value there. And so what I did is I started to compile CEOs just by emailing them, getting in front of them as best as I can, calling up this friend who could introduce me to that person. Um, But 
where things really start to pick up is after you do that first deal, because now it's a flywheel. Investors yeah. start to make introductions to other investors as you're doing the same. Founders do the same every single day. And that's your capital as a VC, really, sure. I mean, aside from your capital. But yeah. your real capital, what makes you better than the next VC is your network and your ability to support the portfolio company post. Um, you know, with that, I could dive into my spiel about what VCs care about, you know, in a, you know as much of a no bullshit way as I can. No, I love that. And, you know, I, I think that's a good, good one, too, because I really loved how you're talking about the the investor experience, because there's a lot of innovation. Um, you know, full disclosure, I'm also an investor in Carta as well. And um, they're just doing a lot of great innovation with the oh, investor yeah. experience. So there's a, and there's just so much, you know, I found this really cool notion page. Um, you can toggle between the the list view and then the card view. And if you do the card view, I'll find it while you're chatting. I think I have it handy here, yeah. um, but it just tells you how big the tech stack is, especially for VCs, right? I mean, when you think about just creating decks, then there's deal flow management, then there's a whole fund administration thing, which is another whole beast. Awesome. Um, but, you know, so so we know kind of what's going on with, um, you know, all the innovation with with some of these uh, fund admins and platforms, but where what do you think is next and what still needs to be innovated on the, the venture transaction? Mm-hmm. Definitely. I think um, one of the biggest changes, I mean, that we're all seeing, and I think it's mm-hmm. probably 95, 95% of you, I'm sure, are party to this change in venture, is that it's becoming a lot more accessible than it ever was. Yeah. Um, and that means a couple other things. So what does that mean first, right? Um, Definition-wise, 10 years ago, there was no such thing as a $2,500 angel check through an SPV into a Series B company. Mm-hmm. It just didn't happen as often. Over time, right? Culturally, we all became much more interested in startups that's driven by shows like Shark Tank and all this other stuff that we spend a lot of time on, right? Or gl- or glorifying our tech CEOs and the VCs that back them. We all saw the splashy headlines. So culturally, we all, as, as in the US, I mean, really across the world, became way more interested in startups than we used to be. Um, secondly, regulation has started to change to make things a little bit easier and kind of lower the barriers to entry for new investors. I mean, you're even seeing now they just changed what it means to be an accredited investor. Yep. Uh, that plays a major role in this because that expands. I mean, you know, that's, that, that, that's actually really important because there's a certain group of investors as a founder you just can't reach out to. Yeah. Those are non-accredited investors. And now to increase the market size like that just invited in a whole new portion of the U.S. to be able to invest into startups. Um, and then on top of that, digital platforms are making it much easier to network and meet people online. And that plays a role in how you could start to source deal flow and how you could start to put together these SPVs and get leads to put these things in. But what all of that really means, simply put, uh, is that venture capital is actually more like investment banking today than it ever really used to be. Um, in the sense that really what your job is as a VC is almost, it's very little finance job. It's really much yeah. more a, a sales job and like being an uncle to several different companies. Sure. But that's really what you spend most of your time doing. I don't really spend much of my time in front of spreadsheets as much as I spend a bunch of my time trying to raise additional capital for, you know, XYZ company series B and trying to get the party started on that and finding a lead. And that comes from nursing a relationship over years with potential investors or even over months. It doesn't matter as long as there's a relationship but nursing a relationship with potential investors, making sure that you have a good company, that you've supported that company um, and gotten them through. Uh, and so, you know, and that's, by the way, what founders value in their investors. Mm-hmm. 
now is they want to be able to have speed of capital. They want to be able to have strategic and curated capital into their company. And they want a financial partner who could do that because frankly, it's not their job to go do this or it shouldn't be. Sorry, it is their job, but it shouldn't be their job. A CEO did not start their company to go raise money. They started their company to go make money. Sure. And as much as you can let the CEO focus on just making money instead mm-hmm. of raising money, yeah, that will make you all the more strategic as a VC, I promise you. Yeah. And that's where this industry is moving. And as a VC, that's what 95% of your job is. Yeah, I agree. And I think founders can be more picky now, right? I mean, there is capital around. It's not impossible to... Uh, find capital, but founders do like getting capital from people that they enjoy working yeah. with and, and um, you know, grabbing a scotch with, you know, I'm closing a deal uh, with this specific founder. And I was like, hey, we should just go grab a scotch. But it's not because there's something at the end that I'm going to, you know, gain. It's just because I really just enjoy this person and their company. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, it's just founders want to be invested by people that they like being around, I feel. Um, that's kind of the vibe that I'm getting. And same thing, you just want to really do business and collaborate with friends. And uh, when, the more that you can do that versus uh, you know, a transaction. I mean, I would say that's the only difference from venture and, and uh, banking, because banking really is it, you know, by nature, you get, you, you make money, you make money from the, uh, the transaction fee, which unfortunately you can't take as a, um, as, as a GP. Um, there's ways around it, but you know, you essentially can't get compensated on a transaction according to the, to the SEC. So. Yeah, exactly. And that, I think that's also, I think that's, I, I, I really, I, re, I really like what you're saying there too, about investing in these relationships. I actually literally right before this phone call, I mean, with, before this zone call was just advising another company because they were talking about this investor who wants to put in some money into this, into their company. And they're in the middle of a raise right now. They're about, you know, 25% of the way there on where they need to be. This would help them get pretty far along, yeah. but the investor is an asshole and they don't want to really talk to him too much and deal with him too much. Yeah. And so I said, well, I was like, $500,000 is going to get spent. It's going to happen. In fact, yeah. you already know if you plotted out your financial model that that person just bought you three, five months of business, but that person now is on your cap table for life. And you're going to have to speak to that person at least once a month or certainly once a quarter, you're going to have to update them. And if they're as annoying as you think they are, they're probably not going to let you just get away with sending them investor updates. Yeah. And so founders really do care about who's on their cap table and who's spending time, you know, in their, in their, I mean, in their, you know, in their circle. Yeah. When developers say things are expensive, it necessarily isn't the cost. And you know this because you launched a couple of companies and mess, but it's the time that and the overhead that it takes to do something, right? I think there was a really interesting article. I share this as a case study. I think Fred Wilson posted an article. I think I forgot what it was called. The um the the low margin. It's like the it's kind of like the hidden high margin business that looks like a low margin business. So there's like this AI QA company that just makes a lot of money very easily, but it makes less money, you know, from a gross standpoint when you compare it to Macy's, right? Um, but Macy's to get to that high level gross revenue, there's just so much overhead and time and, um, you know, resources that needs to happen to get to that number versus like some type of automated 
you know, QA automation company that literally is just, it, it does everything on its own. All you have to do is maybe just have it auto um, expand on the server capacity, but there's nothing that needs to be done, right? So then if you think about that, you compare both companies, it's essentially uh, a much more appealing business because you don't have to do anything, you know, but yeah. and the comparison I'm trying to make is if you're a founder, right? And you take that 500K and you got to, you know, respond to these uh, belligerent text messages like three times a week, that's like mentally- yeah, and it's mentally distracting because uh, you can't really, you know, really be in the zone. And then second, it's like the time it compounds over time when you have to answer to all those questions. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And then we call that cost of capital. Yeah. Right. Like capital, venture capital can be very, very, very expensive. Yeah. It really, really can. Um, and you know, having a shitty VC around you, their you know their interests may not be aligned with you as much as they might be aligned with their own fund and trying to make things work there. And that becomes really present when push comes to shove and things aren't going well at the company. Mm -hmm. Everyone's your best friend when you're yeah. making them money. I think this is something that I think also separates, you know, you know, uh, I forgot the saying, but anyways, the, everyone likes you when you're making them money. Sure. But what starts to happen when things go bad, right? That's when you got to rely on that investor that you brought in. Is that investor going to say, well, this is your fault. And now I'm going to do what I can to get my capital out, even if it's at your expense. Is yeah. that invest or is that an investor going to just be like ineffective and not really be able to help you out of this problem as much as they're rooting for you? Also just as likely. Yeah. Or is that investor going to be able to come in and say, I know what you're dealing with. I've seen this before. Let's get this done. Give me two weeks and we're going to have this taken care of. And we've had scenarios where we've had portfolio companies come to us and say, you know, we're a payroll and a half out, right? We need capital. Right? And we need to get something done. And we have a lot of work that we need to do on this business if we're ever going to be able to raise an A. And so I don't know how we're even supposed to tell our story <laughs> to investors, let alone raise around. And yeah. I said, like, all right, let's go do this. And sure. we structure something quick. We get something done. And then we help them fix the company. And we help them raise additional capital. And what we did there is we just built value for our equity. Yeah. Right? We didn't get paid yeah. by the company to do that. But the company sure. just made us a lot more money than mm -hmm. it did going in. And that yeah. And I, got, and I got two points on top of that, right? I mean, the you know, just the same analogy, right? There could be, instead of the 500K investor, that's a lot of emotional and uh, labor intensive overhead. Maybe there's a person that, um, you know, is a clone of you that only writes like a 250K check, right? The the value and the dividends that pay off just for or that $2,500 check. It doesn't yeah, matter. Exactly. Yeah. So it could be just a small investor, but just through the equity that they're able to generate through the value um, that that is, you know, 10X more than the 500K. And then I think another watch point and, and I've experienced this because sometimes there's single family offices, there's non-tech focused investors, and there's some education that needs to happen. And some of them just don't understand, you know, they, they still think it's like, uh, like venture, you can like, you can just sell your shares and you have to, you know, I've had to have this conversation a few times like, oh, so you're saying that like <laughs> with this company, it's like, I can't just like sell my shares. I'm like, no, this is not, you know, it's, it's not a liquid asset. Um, you know, you can do that with Bitcoin and you can do that with your Robinhood app. But, um, but, you know, so sometimes the education piece, I feel like those kind of investors that require that much education and they still don't get it, they could be kind of like your 500K guy or yeah. gal. Yeah, exactly. And they, and, and that, and that you just don't want, if you don't want to spend your time doing that after you, after you finished spending their money, don't take the check, yeah. um, would be my advice to founders as investors who we're speaking to here be the kind of guy that people want to, you know, take money from. Um, yeah. And by the way, that'll help you get in on the companies that don't really need money right now mm -hmm. today.
And that's the best because <laughs> yeah. those are the guys who are just doing great. And you're really just putting fuel on the fire and you, you know, you're, you're just all good news all the way through, you know, ringing the closing bell or the opening bell. Um, so yeah. Um, you know, one, um, yeah, I mean, where do you, I mean, you know, I think that closes the, the loop on that point. My, you know, little thing I always say there is like before, you know, before the check clears, you're kind of working for the investor, but after the check clears, the investor is really working for you yeah, um, as a, a founder. And, you know, when we invest in a company, that's when, you know, when I started here, that's really what my first touch point with companies was, is post-investment, getting in and saying, okay, now what can I do as the number two of this group to help support you? I've now, you know, since graduated to deal sourcing and structuring and yada, yada, but, um, you know, in the beginning, I wouldn't know, I just wouldn't meet someone until after we signed the check. So all I could do was learn how to be strategic. Yeah. Um, but yeah. What's your playbook? What's the you know guidelines that you would give to new investors that maybe are doing their first and second deal? Mm-hmm. Um, what's the checklist that they should follow after the check is cleared? Obviously, you know checking in with the founders and and you know obviously helping them meet more VCs. Um, but you know, are there some other bullet points that you always keep on your short list? It's like, hey, I'm, let me make sure that I do these first five things after I close the deal, so I can always make sure that you know I'm known as somebody that's really helping them out. Right. Yeah, definitely. Um, so, you know, let me start here. I think the, the three things that I spend my time doing every day, um, it's the only three things that any VC really cares about and any founder really cares about. And it's, can you find them? Can you pick them? And can you support them? Mm-hmm. Those are the three things that matter. Can you source the best quality deals? Do you have right? Proprietary deal flow. Do you have people that are, that want to share deals with you right at the very beginning, or can you muscle your way into really, really oversubscribed rounds based on your network or however else you're able to do it? And there's a bunch, and I always, you know, there's a bunch of different ways that you could expand on all three of these things. Mm -hmm. The second thing is, can you prove that you can pick them, right? Can you show that you have some expertise in this space in a way that makes you someone who can, you know, pick a winner in a field where 90% of companies fail, right? Um, and there's ways to prove that out, which we could talk about. And then the last is, can you support them? If you can do those three things post, mm-hmm. you know, can you support them post investment? Can you connect them with new investors, partners, customers? Can you really audit their tech stack with them and make sure that it looks good? I mean, that it's working properly. Um, you know, that I can't do. So I'm, I'm just giving other options, sure. and other things that people might be able to do. That's not my thing. Yeah. Where I'm strategic and where I could support them is helping them raise capital and helping them set up to raise additional rounds of financing. Um, but, you know, so I wake up every single day and say, how can I get better at those three things? Mm-hmm. Um, what I've found makes me the best at those, like the best way to kill three birds with one stone, really, is just to meet investors as much yeah. as you can. Um, I really, 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 you know, recommend just meeting as many new investors as you could possibly get your hands sure. on. Um, for, you know, all three of those reasons. One, they'll all share deals back and forth. Mm-hmm. We all do. That's yeah. how the best deals move sure. is over a text message. I was literally just going to say that. And I say that to these people on this call, like at least like three times a week, my best deals have been through SMS and like, literally it's a Docsend message. Um, and you know, good news about Docsend, by the way, but, but you know, it's oh, just yeah. it was 165, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think it was uh, Dropbox. Um, no, not Dropbox. It's a, uh, yeah, no, it, it was Dropbox. Dropbox bought them. They, yeah. I think it was a one on Dropbox bought Docsend for 165. That's what it was. Yep. Something mm-hmm. crazy like that. Yeah. Yeah. So, so it's usually a text message with a, with a Docsend. That's usually the best ones that I've been able to get access to. And I, I don't know what it is. Maybe people feel that text is just easy. You know, if you look at your phone right now, 
there probably is no text messages unanswered. But if you look at your email, um, the only message that is not answered from me is an automated message from some website. So um, I think there's a high conversion rate with text. And I feel that I, I feel personally, it's like, maybe it's a little secure because it's not, you know, people don't normally hack your, you know, iPhone SMS. SMS. Yeah. Um, but that's maybe, maybe my, my mind of like why, why I'm able to, uh, you know, close the loop on all the text messages. But, but yeah, I totally agree with that. I think just, um, you know, warm connections and, you know, people that you share deal flow with that you end up building, building a friendship with, I think you get some really great deal flow. Um, and I think a good thing maybe that we can cover um, to go a little deeper on is maybe just double clicking a little more on those three pillars. So mm -hmm. um, finding deals, uh, one hack, this, this is a new hack that I learned in like in December over the holidays, but just searching the keywords, building something new on LinkedIn that you Interesting. Know, I, didn't, I, I didn't know about that. Interesting. But, yeah. Uh, they all do that. But because, because the, a lot of those people that do that, they're stealth, uh, they're in stealth from like a past company, right? Perfect example. If you're, if you're building Bumble and you just left Tinder, you're probably not going to, you know, right when you launch the website or you build the first prototype of the app, you're not going to say, Hey, I'm building Bumble. You may be want, you may want to be in stealth for some time. So that was a new one for me, but I'm always excited when I talk to people like you, cause there's probably some new additional hack versus just a query on, you know, mm -hmm. Crunchbase or PitchBook. So any, what, what do you got for, for maybe picking any special things? We talked about text messaging, obviously, you know, yeah. grabbing, you know, those 30 minute Calendly's with uh, tons of ECs during the week. Um, any other, you know, maybe new discoveries that you found? Yeah. I mean, we kind of operate under this assumption that every, that no company is really a tech company, but tech could add value to companies. And here's yeah. what that means, right? We like to find when we're doing what you're describing, where we're really trying to like find the diamond in the rough, the best of the best that no one yeah. else has access to. We will literally go to a company that is just performing well, that might not even have a website, mm -hmm. right? But it's like generating millions in revenue for one reason or another. Their customers love them and they know where their next meal is coming from. How'd you right? know? How'd you know? How'd you find them though? Were they, was it a text message from a friend? Sometimes it's a text from a friend. Yeah. Sometimes it's just using the internet and saying, <laughs> hey, this is actually really cool. I'm just going to yeah. reach out to them. Sure. and see if there's something we can do and mm -hmm. get your hands on it as best as you can. I haven't really met a founder who's not open to taking a meeting just to talk. Right. And how do you, so you just do random Google search. Yeah, that's crazy. I mean, there's, I was actually just curious about VC deal flow tools because I'm using Trello now. It's pretty well, sad. But coming um, from someone who tried to build a deal, a deal flow tool at one point, the marketplace, it's, uh, it's not easy. Yeah, but I just did a Google search and there was like 15 products that I never even like knew about. Yeah, you've got like all these CRMs now, Affinity and all this other stuff that helps you kind of manage deal flow yeah. coming in. Um, yeah, I mean, my I would love to do it. I keep saying like, I'm going to start to put my deal flow in a CRM so I can yeah. track how many deals I'm doing versus how many I'm taking through the due diligence versus how many I'm passing on. I would love to do it. I just, I need the administrative capacity for it. And until one company really automates that, which I think mm -hmm. Affinity might get to, yeah. but until one company really automates that, like mm -hmm. I'm, 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 I, I haven't really found like a deal flow tool that excites me. Um, the other thing I'd say is like- applicable. So I was hoping that you would save me a year of heartache because I was actually thinking about building one too. And I actually built like a clickable prototype. My idea was like memos, right? So what, you know, you don't have to write a full memo. Maybe in the beginning, you can just do kind of a little pre-screen that right. has like the top 10 questions. Like, hey, here's the market size. Here's the terms of the deal. Here's the competitors. You don't have to do like a full-fledged memo, but maybe mm -hmm. there is an option to later. And then what if it was like the Reddit- for memos. It's like you yeah. write 
And the unique that's kinda, yeah, that's kind of what we were trying to build was you, we call them briefs, right? Yeah. What they were is these live executive summaries and the way like yeah. LinkedIn created the live yeah. resume. We created the live executive summary. It was supposed to update you on traction. You mm-hmm. could update your traction just like a status update yeah. and all this other stuff. And the unique um, identifier could be the website. That's what I learned too. You know, because the the because sometimes right there's there's user error with duplicates. Right, you might accidentally type in Carta twice. Somebody else found Carta and they wrote. But if you have that unique website URL. <laughs> That, so I, I've thought about this, but I just haven't had the time to to go deeper. And then my question was like, maybe there's somebody like you that already built it. So then it's like a waste of time because, um, you know, I'm duplicating something that's already there. So what was the issues that you found with yeah. briefs? Yeah, for sure. So mm-hmm. the hard part, honestly, is like we're trying to change. You're we trying to change the way that we're just trying to change the way the industry worked and not in like this big tech fancy way that we had picked up on something that yeah. other people hadn't. We were just trying to change behaviors that just yeah. weren't aligned with how our customers acted, right? Yeah. So what I mean by that is we had two customers, right? We had mm-hmm. investors and we had founders. Sure. And investors, right? They're sure happy to take a meeting, but they know their target deals. They know the companies mm-hmm. that excite them. And you could usually tell a deal that you're excited about versus a deal you're not excited about within yeah. 30 seconds. Sure. Um, and they spend their time trying to get proprietary deal flow, mm-hmm. right? There is no stock market largely because the investors, the buy side just does not want to participate on one Yeah, um, is the big part of it, right? You only want to participate on it when you want to get you, you want to sell your shares. Yeah. Never want when you want to browse companies to buy or to, you know, so, to you know, so angel list used to, and maybe this is a strategic thing, but angel mm-hmm. list, I don't know if you remember, maybe like seven, eight years Back ago, in the day. Yeah. That's, that's it looked yeah. like Prodicon. It was, and now they acquired Prodicon, right? Right. To but, do it. But, it, but it looked like Prodicon. It, it, it showed all the deals. It showed the trending deals. And, um, and I thought that was a great way to at least find some momentum. Right. And I'm, I've been curious since then, I think now with all the syndicates and all the platforms that they have, the products, maybe they want to mask that a little bit and put that behind a wall. But I mean, I feel like, I don't know if anybody else is doing it probably for the same reason. Um, and that's because it's very difficult to make money on it. Um, we had no problem setting Mm -hmm. up meetings between founders and investors. We set up hundreds of meetings between startups and investors, and I don't even know all of them because they were automated. Yeah. Right. And investors love, like we nailed it on investors mm-hmm. loving the algorithm and yada, yada. But what happens is you have this little guy called the SEC, right? Mm-hmm. And the SEC says that you can't make money off the completion of a transaction unless you're a broker dealer. Yeah. And I'm fine to become a broker dealer. Mm-hmm. We're going to go the route of buying a broker dealer. It yeah. wasn't that process. It was what happens on a deal by deal basis. Sure. So for you to make cash on it, you have to take mm-hmm. these companies through a long due diligence process mm-hmm. that can take these companies months. And a lot of times they just go bankrupt through the due diligence process. Yeah. Right? It's like, you have to do it as if, as if you're an investment bank, it's regulated mm-hmm. the same way for sure. a $200 million transaction as it is for a million dollar transaction. Well, what I thought was kind of maybe like Trello, you know, cause I'm using Trello now for some idea flow and I'm actually really happy with it um, so far. But what I thought was like, there's a global, there's a global, you know, let's use your terms like, trending list of briefs, right? So, hey, I found this, uh, you know, I found the next pipe, right? And right. Um, this company, it's, it's growing traction. I've seen five or different people who are creating their own brief for, for the pipe, the next pipe, right? right. And uh, it's getting all this traction. It's been viewed by like 2000 people, but I think what, and this is what I was thinking about. Oh, again, check out you know, Signal by NFX, actually. That might be the okay. best. The best one that you may like. That may be a good one, yeah. Yeah, it's and then the, that one. I think I ha- that uh, that actually lists all of the VCs, right? 
Yeah, what it is, it's it's founded by a group called NFX. Yeah. They're and fun, what, they, right? what they're trying to prove is that, you know, they're a network effects focused firm. Mm-hmm. And so yeah. they invest in companies that have that as like their defensible mode. Sure. Right. And so to prove that they really know network effects, they said, well, we're going to use network effects to scale deal flow acquisition. Yeah. Right? And so they created NFX, Signal by NFX, which basically is like Craigslist, literally it looks like a dark version of Craigslist, <laughs> like they inverted the colors. Yeah. But for company summaries. And then they started sure. calling them briefs, which just really made my blood boil. But oh, that's wow. a whole other conversation. Somebody overheard uh, one of your, you know, brainstorming sessions. Um, exactly. but they called them, they called them briefs too. Wow. Okay. Um, so they, so it all, it also has like some type of trending. So the, the way that I thought you can make money is almost like an enterprise tool where mm-hmm. maybe you can create private groups, right? Because this is like the, there'd be a public facing trending view, but then you can create kind of a private board. But then I guess that that's probably what all the other tools do. I'm assuming, right? Like affinity and some of those other tools. But I thought if you can get that, and then you know you can you can create a private instance where maybe your team can um, have the same experience, where you can pick the trending deals, and then uh, the trending deals bubble up to the top. And then when you go to your partners meeting, you just go, you just look at the top five, and there's a lot of comments and traction. So that kind of helps at least bubble some things up. Um, and then you know, and then obviously, and then I thought about I don't know if you heard about like Dot Collector by Bridgewater. No. You, I get, you got to watch the video. Um, so Bridgewater, they have this product called Dot Collector. So mm-hmm. the, you got to see this demo, man. I'll send it to you. Um, while you and I are chatting, people can rank in real time, like the credibility of what I'm saying. Oh, so like wow. this person, so, so, and, and it, so Zach can come in and be like, yeah, the point that Joel said about turning briefs into a paid product, that's just idiotically stupid. I'm going to give him a one. And then, but then you respond and you say something insightful and he can give you a 10 in that instance. And then what happens is over time, we, you'll see the data, right? You see a graph over like the credibility of like what people said, but then Mm -hmm. Zach also has a credibility score. So, because if Zach said something and just people do not believe that he's credible, his credibility score just doesn't have any weighting versus Mm -hmm. like Antonio here who, um, you know, helped correct us on who acquired Doxen, he is like highly credible, right? So then anything that he says goes. So there's a product demo, dude, it, it is unreal. So that I actually sounds really cool. I want to try that. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's it's a it's what Bridgewater uses um, nice. to to be able to de-risk their hedge fund investments. That's why, you know, I feel like that's why they're the top performing fund because yeah, they can, they, uh, they, they, they record every single thing that they say, everything that you say essentially gets reviewed. But right. I thought about that too. I was like, you know, cause deal flow really needs to be that way. Like if I have a great deal, if I think a great deal is really an awesome deal, but the whole crowd, um, realizes that my credibility is really low that I feel like that's good to know. Oh, so, yeah. and, and I saw that Stack Overflow kind of does that too. So Stack Overflow, you actually get points and um, you get special privileges based on your credibility as well. And you can even like vote people off of the channel if oh, you like have, have, yeah. So that's how, that's how Stack Overflow is. So I've been really going deep about this. I just haven't had time, but um, I think, so what I think is not there is like the dot collector meets 
um, meets briefs, right? Because you need to have like briefs of the deal flow, but you need to have trolls in there, right? You need to have trolls that come in and say, and shit all over the deal because you don't want people to just, you know, play favoritism and just like every single thing because everybody else is. Um, so that's why I think Reddit is so great because you don't have to really <laughs> reveal yourself. So people just say such spicy commentary in, uh, in all the, um, the comments. Yeah. Exactly. And the, um, what's it called? I'm surprised there isn't like a very active Reddit group yet about mm -hmm. this, but the other thing that I actually might help too, that, that I'm just thinking about that I might also start to, you know, recycle myself. Mm -hmm. Um, one thing I used to do a lot is I would just go on crunch base and I would see who raised around 18 months ago. If I, Oh see, yeah, that's a good one. If you, if I see because the average person's raising capital to last them 18 to 24 months. Yeah. And so I just checked who raised capital 18 months ago. And then I browsed through those because all those guys are teeing up to do another round now. Sure. So I just wanted to show you this real quick. I mean, I'll I post this, but um, you know, so you can literally say, you know, look at what people are saying, right? So um, Ray Dalio said something, right? And um, th this, this, this young intern said something and then Ray and all these other people uh, ranked what she said and added some comments, right? And then what happens That's is good. like, as you zoom out, you can see what your overall heat map is. I can't imagine being an intern at Bridgewater and Ray Dalio is live telling me how credible I am. That's terrifying. Yeah, and like, this is a meeting here. Check this out. So this is a meeting. I mean, these people are like sitting in the room um, and you can kind of see them in the room, just like literally, so, you know, this intern rated, they encourage you to, um, you know, give candid feedback to your boss. So a lot of times you see, you know, senior people and uh, they have their juniors, you know, give them a down, you know, thumbs down and give candid feedback. But, you know, if you think about that, you know, imagine if you could be at a workplace where you could say that and not be worried about, because what happens, right? A lot of times we're afraid of getting fired, right? We don't, we don't want to say how we really feel because our boss may just take revenge and, and fire us, right? Yeah. So this has been very like, eye-opening to me just thinking about so imagine if you had this kind of grid it's like hey i found this really cool deal um but you know you get really all these people saying stuff and then what i thought was really interesting is um he shows a graph where two questions were asked um it's over here somewhere yeah right here i like, i see where you're going with this maybe like we actually had a similar feature idea yeah. at 1h which was what we were going to do is say hey you can as an analyst network mm -hmm. you know post this to the yeah. larger community as yeah. an investor share a deal mm -hmm. to a larger community and then each individual investor could share their own thoughts on the company and you yeah. crowdsource uh investor information i mean like investor due yeah. diligence from there but what's um, powerful is the credibility score so you see this yeah. here right so so they That's you know the, a, a question was asked and 77% of the people said yes, and then 23 said no. But when you add the believability score to it, the, it, it, you know, there was less people that said no, but those people were highly believable. So actually the, the real number is 81%. No, that's the actual true number because you play in like believability. So I think there, you know, if you take Reddit and then you add the whole component of like some believability, like reliability score, then you can really wait, uh, rate that. And, and I feel like you can maybe even uh, add to your rating if you, um, if you maybe reveal yourself, right? If you're confident to say, hey, you know what? This is who I am. You authenticate with LinkedIn or something. Uh, maybe that may help. That may incentivize people to really um, yeah. you know, be involved more. But you know, I just love product brainstorming. So this is- uh, yeah. I, 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 <laughs> I would love there to be, I always say this to people, is like, 
I had a million ideas at one age. I would love for someone to build a competitor and get it right. Like I really yeah. wanted to get it right. That sure. was the goal. Um, and I've, I've seen now, like I just watched someone else the other day, I actually mm-hmm. found online like a copycat version of one age, which like copied our UI UX even, which was wild. Interesting. Was like, you know, fantastic. Like as yeah. like I would, there needs to be tools for this and yeah. there's just not. But sure. why? Because this industry is so relationship heavy. I think that's what it is. I think people are afraid to like, Really, I mean, it's tough as a VC, right? Because if you bad mouth, now they got VC guide, right? So if you bad mouth uh, like a company, who knows? You know, I mean, so I think that's what it is. But may- maybe it, maybe it's the other part is the other part of it too is like, frankly, like you know, why why would I start to do it? Like if I like let's let's be on, like let's let's play it out. Let's say I came up with this great idea, right, for this thing. Now all of a sudden. I've got a bunch of deal flow coming in. I'm just going to go launch a fund and like that will minimize the amount of work that I have to go do to make money. Right. Yeah. There's a lot of money in venture capital, very little money in venture capital service providers. Yeah. And so, you know, why would I, if I already have this huge knowledge in this, you know, if I have the deal flow and I know how to pick them <clears> and I could support them clearly, like, why would I go the route of yeah. continuing to try to like collect these transferable things when I could go? Sure. Well, know, what I think would be interesting is like, imagine if you had to hire, you know, like your one option is you hire like two or three analysts, right? You hire those analysts, those people come in every day as a full-time job, they're sourcing deals, right? But if you have a platform like Briefs, globally, somebody from like a small, tiny country um, that just is able to use Google can source, can source great deals, right? So anybody... On the planet, they don't have to go through the pedigree and go through all this, all these bells and hoops to, to actually join a venture fund. Anybody in the world can source a great deal. And then the merit of that deal, the quality of that deal, maybe it's a deal uh, you know, sourced by tech stars in Hong Kong, and it's just a rocket ship that nobody knows about, but somebody in that small country sourced it. And they didn't have to go to business school and, you know, you didn't have to like, you know, deal with the bullshit that we had to deal with to try to break in. Um, they still source a deal and that deal bubbled to the top because it was such a great deal. So that's in my mind where it could possibly be innovative because you can kind of distribute the quality mm-hmm. and then other people can comment on that too. So it's like, this is a cool deal. Here's like my, it's not, it's not the full memo. It's like maybe the, the brief, right? It's like the, here's the, here's the team, the TAM, the market size, here's the competitors, like the five bullets. And then, investor. and then a bunch of people yeah. like Reddit, they just kind of, they either shit on it or they just like, or love it, or, or love it and upvote it. It goes to the top. And then when you come yeah. in, you, um, you know, you, you, you see the top deals that's the larger universe, but then mm-hmm. you could probably do that. You know, I think where you could charge again is like on the enterprise side, it could be like a private channel. But my right. question is, I don't know if somebody's already doing that, but I think that would be interesting to help bubble up uh, and provide commentary uh, among the top deals. Yeah. So what and, I wanted to do is actually like wireframe it and like just share it with a couple of VCs and like just get like iterate on it like 10 times. And like, if you want to, if you want to be on like, like right. a, uh, a committee to do that, I'm happy to do it and throw some wireframes oh, at you. Please. I'm yeah. down. I, I, I promise I won't call it briefs. It's fine. You can yeah. call it. Briefs. I'll call it boxers. <laughs> call it boxers. Yes. I love it. Actually, I would love that. that that's yeah. called boxers. I'm in the, um, but, um, yeah, I mean, that's actually also like, a, I think, uh, that actually helps back, you know, double clicking on like those three things. Yeah. Right. For me, Right. Like I didn't, I actually dropped out of college. You know, like I didn't go to Stanford. Sure. I didn't, you know, get a job at McKinsey and then in PE and then move into VC. I, I didn't do it. Right. Yeah. I didn't have any of that track record to be able to show. And most people trying to break into venture today don't. Right. Yeah. You have to start building that track record at track mm-hmm. record at 18. Right. 
most of those people already have a job lined up in BC before they finish their sophomore year. Sure. So like the, um, you know, so th- that path is a really good path in, mm-hmm. you can do it and you can get on that path. It will land you there. Most people aren't there. Um, yeah. I was not right. I was very much, you know, I, I, I didn't have a degree and right? I dropped out of college to go pursue one age, but that's where I really start to understand the formula was these three things. Right. And so one age helped me show that I could source them because I literally had a machine in my back pocket mm-hmm. that gave me deals. Right. Like that, that's what it did for me. And it gave me access to proprietary data that other people didn't have around how much of, you know, how much potential interest can this company garner if we were to invest, could they actually close their round? Right. And we, and I had these sure. data points that other people wouldn't have otherwise had. Mm-hmm. Right. And that helped me pick them. Right. And yeah. obviously having hundreds of investors in my back pocket also helped me support them. Um, and so like, that's one example of finding your way Mm -hmm. of, you know, doing those three things. I've seen other people build a track record by, you know, having a small angel portfolio themselves, putting aside 10, $15,000 if they can over the course of a year or two, and using that to invest, you know, $1,000, $2,500, $5,000 into people's SPVs and showing like, Hey, this was the growth of my portfolio, you know, albeit small compared to, you know, whatever fund I'm applying to you know that I'm willing, that I was willing to put my money where my mouth was on these. I had conviction about them and I was right about them. Sure. Um, I could have taken that 15 K and gone on a lavish vacation, but instead I put it into this because I had conviction about these people. Um, and you, you talk about like companies, you know, now you can invest 2,500 to five grand to get into a deal. You can do that now with the first time fund now. So maybe we can talk a little bit about emerging managers and the yeah. energy and excitement you've been seeing, around that oh, yeah. space. And then I, I definitely have some comments because I'm building something around that. But, um, you yeah. know, talk to me about emerging managers, uh, what you're seeing that's new and exciting about these, you know, 19 year olds that are doing their first close. And I know yeah. a few of them. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, yeah, you, so, yeah, you and I were talking about a couple yeah. of them too. I know them well. Yeah, mm-hmm. the, um, yeah for sure. So um, I could probably speak to this on a, on a couple of different levels. I'm an out, you know, I, not me personally, but evolution is an LP in a number of these. Sure. Um, you know, and you know, I've helped, I've, I've been on, you know, that team obviously, yeah. um, cause it's two people, but, uh, the, um, what's well, And then I've, you know, worked with those people. Um, and then on top of that, I, you know, I, I did my own deal sourcing to, you know, review different LP investment opportunities and yada, yada on our side. Sure. Um, so I can speak. And then on the same time, I'm also an emerging manager myself mm-hmm. I'm in the middle of, you know, launching my own fund yeah. um, as we speak. So maybe first, let me talk about what I'm seeing in these trends mm-hmm. that I'm starting to notice. The first is, you're right, these fund managers are getting younger and younger and younger. You know, it, it used to be kind of interesting that I was 23, but now I'm yeah. talking to people and they're like, wow, you're 23? I can't wait till <laughs> I'm 23. I'll be on my third fund by then. It's like, wow. Okay. Like, I remember yeah. being that guy yeah. to other people. And now I see how that feels. Well, you think you're so like, slick. You and I think we're so slick because we're texting docsends. No. But man, these, these Gen Zs are shooting us notion pages with embedded. Airtables and and, and and analytics. Like I've seen somebody send me like this integrated analytics dashboard, and like mm-hmm. you hover over it, and like the ticker symbol changes in like potential IRR, dude. Fascinating. So I thought I was so slick. My hey, you know, here's a dachshund. I you put it in dachshund. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. And I can yeah. see who who opened it. Yeah. But the, uh, exactly. And so I mean, that kind of comes back down to like what's starting to happen, and the challenge you're starting to see is like. You know, these funds now are becoming a little saturated. It used to yeah. be that there was about a thousand VC funds in the United States in 2018. 
Sure. There's not even data on what the new number is, but mm-hmm. I'm sure we've closed more funds than that in 2021 alone. Yeah. You know? So there's a lot of these micro VC funds. And by micro VC, what we mean is like, you know, it, they say it's like under 50 million or under a hundred million AUM. The reality is it's actually closer to like three to $15 million. Yeah, it is. I mean, so, and I, and I joke around that I brought this up a few times the last couple of weeks. I mean, the standard, if you go to like the New York pension fund website, it's like, Oh, you're an emerging manager for your sub 1 billion. Um, So, you know, when you, when you think about, you know, hedge funds and you think about these private equity funds, you know, we, we essentially still fit under the private equity bucket, right? So, you know, when you really think from a macro standpoint, the word emerging manager is really like under a billion. Um, and then I just laugh at that because, you know, you could be, you know, in VC, it's essentially exactly what you said. It's like three to three actually is the lowest I've seen, but three, I mean, that's a great first fund to really do a bunch of like 25 to 50 K checks. You can really go out and, and especially if it's like pre pre product pre seed, you know, you can really get some nice markups if you get in early enough, um, even with just 3 million, but that, that reality, I mean, with that as an LP, right. If you just write like a five to 10 K check that can still help those managers at least, um, get to, you know, some of those small marks, mm-hmm. you know, and, mm-hmm. and, oh, and definitely, and lot, it just gets you know? and emerging managers, if you think it's hard to raise capital for a company, mm-hmm. try raising capital for a venture fund. Yeah. Right. Oh my God. It's, you know, it's a totally different beast because I mean, you, you're talking to a group of people that, I mean, in, in part, right. One of the questions they're asking is like, why would I invest in your venture fund now that you do? Yeah. You know, if you're sure. already giving me the milk for free, why would I buy the cow here? Right. Yeah. And you know, that's kind of what, what a lot of these emerging fund managers are doing mm-hmm. is they're just closing SPVs because it's difficult to get them to commit to like, Hey, just trust me to go for it. Yeah, um, that and that's going to be the challenge for a lot of these guys. So mm-hmm. if any of you are thinking about becoming emerging fund managers like myself, um, I'm kind of in that phase one. What yeah. I do is I describe myself now as more operating a venture capital firm than operating a venture capital fund. And yeah. what I mean by that is like I'm you know actively making investments. In fact, 519, my firm's first investment actually just announced today. Right. Mm-hmm. And that's awesome news. We are joined by this large group of really strategic investors from major companies. And that started to help me build pipeline and things like that too. And yeah. friends in these larger businesses. And now we're in the middle of doing our second and third, right? As we speak. And each one of these proves out to the investors that will become my LPs one day, mm-hmm. right? That I have access to proprietary deal flow, yeah. that I know how to pick them, that I know how to present them, that I know how to support them. And they'll see what I do for each one of these companies post-investment anyways, because they're SPV, they're in the, they're LPs in my SPV into those things. Yeah. In my mind too, you know, being an LP in, uh, you know, so I've actually committed to one already, but being an LP in these emerging managers, I, I, my, my opinion, the benefits are number one, um, you get to learn the skill of picking managers, which is a whole different fun journey. I mean, and to be honest, it's very similar. Um, you know, cause what is a fund? It's a small business, right? It's a startup. You're, you, you have to, you know, really build community. You have to get traction. Yeah. You know, there's, there's obviously some SEC rules on, you know, how you're marketing it, depending on how you're classified, but you're picking people and you're picking teams, which is not too dissimilar from, uh, picking founders, but you get access to their deal flow. A lot of times they may bounce the deal flow off of you as an LP. Um, so you get kind of the pulse of, um, you know, the deals are the looking at, but I, I feel, I learn a lot from 
how these emerging managers are tackling the ecosystem, how they're reporting, how, you know, what do their, what do their investor updates look like? You know, those are good things to um, just get in, just get sight of as, as an LP. Cause you just see, see how they're reporting and um, you know, a lot of, and you just see the trends of how different people are doing it. And then if you ever wanted to learn how to do it on your own um, you just get all those insights and data points from other people. But you know, really it's just, it's a, it's a way to scale your proprietary deal flow. Cause a lot of those people are, um, doing that full time. So it's almost like you're exponentially growing your ability to raise a, to, to run a fund because these other people had their own little bubbles of capital, um, that are being put to work. Yeah, exactly. Mundo. Yeah. And I think the, um, yeah. And I think also, um, that's also a great way to break in, even if you don't have capital is another yeah. thing I should mention is like, you know, what happens if you didn't go to Stanford, Harvard and all that, and you didn't, mm-hmm. you know, have $50,000 or $20,000 to start to spend, you know, what, what yeah. do you do there? The best thing to do, I mean, I certainly didn't have those things when I was 18 years old, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. The best thing to do is really to start with the deal. Um, and for a couple of reasons, uh, the first is like, I don't have to have conviction about you as the founder yet, about the firm yet. Certainly, you know, I don't know who in the world in 2015 was having conviction about an 18 year old today. It's a different story. But sure. back in the day, no one was like super excited about the idea of investing into an 18 year old you know, venture fund who yeah. you know, just graduated high school and is just really into startups. Like mm-hmm. there's not that, that that's not, I mean, believe me, I, you know, I had enough arrogance in the world, you know, to believe that I was yeah. know, capable of doing that, but no one's going to do that. So instead, what did I do? I just raised capital for a company that I was really excited about. Um, mm-hmm. And I used that deal. I literally told the founder at the time, this is how I built my angel group. I told the founder, I was like, I run an angel group. I knew like two investors at the time. I, you know, I just, people I know who invested into a startup or two that I knew, right. I said like, I run an angel group. He's like, fantastic. I'll give you some allocation. I was like, whatever that means, I'll Google it. Mm -hmm. And I had this deal in hand. And then I spent the summer just taking this deal and just marketing this deal and marketing this deal and marketing this deal. Do you know anyone who'd be interested Mm -hmm. in this? Oh, wow. You, you and I should definitely learn more. And then hand them the deal. You didn't have to have faith in Robert Harari, right? about whether or not he did his due diligence because Menlo Ventures led the round, yeah. right? And Logitech invested and yada, yada, right? Sure. So you don't have to necessarily trust my due diligence. And by the way, we don't have to talk about whether the company's performing, they're doing millions in revenue and yada, 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 yeah. right? So with some basic due diligence and a little bit of trust, you know, you really, I mean, and when I say a little bit, I mean, really just a little bit in those scenarios, yeah. I was able to build a track record. You know what's um, good? You know what I, I think would be good to create for the community? So- um, you know, I'm part of a couple syndicates and I get those great emails. And I think the flow, some of them, the flow is really great because they're like, Hey, here's a really good deal. Here's, um, here's how much we have here. Much are, here's, here's who's leading the round. This is the size of the round. This is how much we have click here to schedule a zoom meeting. And if you click, it actually will automatically email the zoom to you, even if you missed it, which is great. But mm-hmm. then, you know, there's a type form to choose your allocation and then they're just super organized with like the deadlines, right? Um, but I feel like there isn't like a template for that. I mean, I could easily just take one of the syndicate emails that I have, but I feel like that would be a great like template resource to share with the community. It's like, hey, if you want to start your syndicate, here's like the the, the yes, thing that you want to put in there. Yeah, it's like the time. There's definitely like a because I think there's probably a a, a link that you click on to to confirm your commitment mm-hmm. and. Then What's, what's written really key for me is really like the timeline. It's like, hey, you know, this is when you commit, this is when you sign the paperwork, and then this is when you do the wire. Um, right. 
but you know, haven't haven't, and I I'm happy to do that because I have Carter just I think might have just launched something like that. Actually. Oh, great! Okay, they just launched like a Carter for SPVs, which like mm-hmm. we were just listening to the webinar on it. It like because um, like we love we were also like we I think we even bake it into our term sheets that companies have to be on Carta. Like, we're <laughs> obsessed with Carta. Yeah. Um, and basically, like they handle the legal, the administrative, mm-hmm. the administrative, and all that on the back end. So you don't yeah. have to use a sure or one of the other guys if you don't want to. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't use any of those. I just do it myself. I have my own docs, my yeah. own process, and whatever. That's um, what I do too. I think there's benefits to doing it yourself. Um, it's not that crazy to get a K one, right? You really get, not. I do. Yeah. I have to, we have. I have 30 K ones that we yeah. have, that I have to do right now. Sure. <laughs> so I do it myself too, because I don't have to pay the 1% to somebody else. Right. So you're, you can essentially be your own, but you don't have a really cool web platform, you know, but the good news right. is you and I will probably build it in a couple of years. Right. I'll so. Put me on the committee. We'll call boxes. <laughs> boxes. So that we'll, we'll, we'll attack the whole stack. Right. So the first stack is, uh, you know, sourcing and then, you know, Fund admin is another one that, you know, exactly. I think the, the edge is kind of make, I mean, it's just, I, the, what I've noticed is there's a lot of great providers, um, but there's different price points. And sometimes like the package doesn't have like exactly what you need. And mm-hmm. that was, that's, what's kind of pushed me to do, um, do my own. Cause I can kind of customize it a little bit. So yeah. um, that's pretty helpful. Well, Hey, yeah. we're exactly at time. Do you have like maybe two minutes to maybe take a couple questions at the end? I got sure. Oh, great. Um, yeah. Well, anybody have any questions? If you had to have dinner with one person, maybe it could even be somebody in this room, who would you have dinner with and why? And it can't start with the letter Z. Oh, it can't start with the letter Z? (laughs) I think that's limiting. Yeah, I think that's limiting just because I haven't gotten to know everyone else yet. Who who was the one who who gave the doc send, who gave the tip on doc send? Was that Antonio? That was Antonio. Yeah, he's Antonio, you and me, buddy. He could hear us. I like that. <laughs> cool. So I'm, I'm, I'm going to go with Antonio because Antonio brought, uh, he, he brought, he brought, he was, uh, he was adding value. That's, exactly. uh, that's what you got to do as a VC. You know, he was, I mean, when you ask him, how can he be helpful? Um, he definitely took care of that. Uh, yeah. Any other questions, guys? So this is Engels. I have one question. Mm-hmm. Uh, so Robert, you, you mentioned, you know, how you're going to VC um, kind of, well, not how you will, how, how others can. Um, have a small angel uh, portfolio, be able to source deals, build a track record. Um, for you know, mid-career professionals like me, is there anything else uh, you think that we should be doing to aid that transition into into VC? Yeah, um, yeah. I mean, especially like you know, again, there's I had the challenge too of like I didn't have the capital to just go say like, oh, I'm just gonna go make a bunch of angel checks. Like I I, I just yeah. did it. I was 18 years old, right? I like there that wasn't in the cards for me. Um, you know, there's, there's a few ways to get, to get to the point where you can show that you can add that kind of value. Um, I've seen some people go the route of blogging. That's one way to do it to show I know a lot about this specific mm-hmm. space, right? I've seen reporters even get into VC because of that. Um, but I think the best way to do it is, and, and I really, 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 really mean this when I say it, is just get a deal. You'd be surprised they can come together. It sounds very scary and you know nothing happens until the party starts, but then once the party starts, it's crazy. Um, just get a deal in your hands. Again, my, I, I faked it to get my first deal, right? Yeah. I found that company in a detention and well, yeah. And then um, I called the founder and was like, I just want some allocation in this. I am a, you know, I, I'm running this angel group now. Um, and so, 
you know, that fake it. That's, that's what I mean. I, I, there's no other way to say it, right? Yeah. If you think that you can communicate effectively, which is really 95% of your job, if you think you can communicate effectively, use that as much as you can. I happen to, you know, I, I, I like making friends. It's, it's, a, it's, my, it's my favorite thing to do. I love to meet new people. And so, and there's a million, I, if you go on these Slack groups, you see all these kids now, right? Who've never cut an angel check in their life, networking with partners at Nature BZ funds because yeah. they asked to. And now that's someone they have in their network. And they're going to be able sure. to say, I know Mark Andreessen and every micro VC is going to want to hire them. Yeah. Right. And so there's, you know, really a number of ways that you can do it. My big, the big thing, if you just keep hearing me urge it, right? Venture capital is turning to investment banking. Show that you can put together capital. That will do everything you need to do. And even if you don't put in your own capital, right? Like I didn't put in my own capital, right? My first deal, because I was, again, just graduating high school. So there's, you know, if you don't have any capital or any of that, you can build a track record just by being able to sell and put together a deal. Um, Now, with that said, it's not about proving how good of a salesperson you are. It's not. It's about everything that happens post that sale. That's just what you're trading for your capital to get into those companies is you're trading your talent as a salesperson or as a communicator or as whatever it is. Um, what happens after that investment is really what's going to make or break your reputation. So make sure, you know, with those people, especially if you hard sold them. So yeah. make sure that the companies that you're choosing are high quality. Um, and you and I can, you know, really dive in on how to do that. Sure. But make sure that when you are pitching one of these things around that you're pitching high quality companies. Yeah, I can, I can t- Christian, for your question, um, I was thinking about, I was letting this marinate as uh, Robert was chatting. You know, two pieces, you know, I think two pieces that I've been working on is content and community. The really high converting content that I see is like the useful m- templates it's like, hey, here's a great like valuation template. Like you plug in the numbers and I feel like those really convert. Like this morning I sent out like this template. It was like a resume template and three people, like this never happened, but three people personally sent like a message to that email and they're like, thank you so much for this. this is, you know, so that's, I think if you, so that's what I'm seeing. Like the high conversion content is like these tools. It's kind of like these free Google templates that you build. So I think if you can do... <laughs> Oh, I guess Christian got that one too. But, you know, I guess the the tools that you build um, that allow them to kind of do their job. So especially if you're building stuff for founders. So I've seen a few of these younger emerging VCs build like these cool like Google Docs or like Notion pages that literally like aggregate all that stuff. Some of it like they built themselves, but then some of them it's just like a list. It's like an easy like web page where it has like everything just listed there in one place. And like that in itself, I know it's kind of like not that innovative, but it's just easy to go to one page and see it all there. And like that is like high converting content. Um, yeah. And the good news know. is like you don't really have to over engineer it, right? Yeah. Like it could just be super simple. <laughs> it like could be one the, Substack page that just yeah. updates every Coming week. from someone who tried to over engineer it. <clears throat> yeah. You don't have to do it that way to, yeah. deal, to get deals. You, it's really a relationship game. Yeah. So if you add value up front, like he's saying, and like you have this basic site, people are going to already start the relationship with you really liking it. You don't have to be the best developer in the world. I would say, look, just being a connector, right? So if you know a food tech VC and then you met another food tech VC three weeks ago, it's like simply just connect those people, like do the double opt-in. It's like that in itself will just give you a lot of street cred because then they'll be like, oh, thanks so much. Like, um, hey, you know, this this deal is oversubscribed, but, uh, you know, I, I really like you. I, I could probably squeeze you in for like, you know, 50K. 
um, you know, that, and that's right there, just because you made that connection, um, you know, maybe those people hit it off because they're both food tech VCs. Um, so I think definitely connecting would be another, another one. Just and that, like again, going, that just comes, that just comes with like just having so many meetings. Um, yeah. You just get to know what, what's, what's valuable. Somebody else have something? Just to, just quote, just to build on that last thing there um, yeah. is one of the good things about connecting people like that. And I always do this. Mm-hmm. At the end of every phone call I have with an investor, including the three I had today, right? What I do is I do them one kind of favor, right? Yeah. So if that's, you know, oh, you're looking for prop tech VCs, I actually know someone at MetaProp Ventures. I'll connect you. Right yeah. Now, right. Now that person owes you a favor, right? Sure. To, right. To an extent. And not to be so transactional about it, but you're in there, like they know you as the kind of person mm-hmm. who just did right by them. When yeah. you reach out to them, one, they're going to think that anytime they see your name on their phone, it's good news and not just the deal that you're trying to put. Mm-hmm. Right. And two, right. They're going to want to help you out. And they're going to say, oh my God, thank you for connecting me to them. We're actually doing the deal together right now. Yeah. Who can I share with you right now? And then I'll say, I'm actually trying to get in front of yada, yada. Do you happen to know him? Yes. Oh my God, I do. I'm connecting you right now. So to amp that up a little bit, I've taken that to the next level where um, there's been somebody that's been like a very, very big institutional, maybe LP. And I didn't need anything at the moment, but I know that at some point I will need them to help me with something. And, you know, maybe it's not writing a check. Maybe it is, but I don't need it right now, but I will just do what Robert did, but I will make it, I will make them say, wow, Joel, like I owe, dude, I owe you so many favors right now. Um, so, you know, if you take that to the next level, especially if it's somebody that, you know, um, you know, you want to, again, not to be transactional, but you know, you want to build a long-term relationship with, um, you know, the more generous you are that goodwill, I would say the best way to put it is that goodwill will compound over Mm -hmm. time. Um, even if you don't ask for anything right now, I think just that general goodwill will just compound because what are they going to say about you? Right. To their friends, they're going to speak the world of you just because you um, help so much and you, you know, you didn't ask for anything. So I think, um, you know, definitely doing that. And then, you know, if you feel that you need to compound it, I think that helps too. Yeah. So, yeah, cool. Well, I know we're over time. Anything else, Robert, thanks for staying over a couple minutes. I really appreciate it. It was a lot of fun. Happy to. Um, Antonio, I, I don't know if you had a question. So I saw that you hopped into the actual video. Just wanted to. Oh yeah. I have a, I have a quick real question. You wanted to know where to go, where you guys are going for dinner. (laughs) <laughs> uh i this is the first time i'm actually hearing about cultural tech and is it called like lifestyle tech as well yeah. and like does yeah. that mean like you're almost in like every genre when it comes to lifestyle culture tech and then from that standpoint um like what makes you passionate about being in that space Definitely. of culture yeah absolutely um so I'll start with what it is and then why I'm super passionate about it um, without trying, you know, without getting too corny. Um, But what it is, is it's what powers our day to day. So, you know, when I met Greg for the first time, right, you know, he said, what are you, 21 years old? I'm like, yeah, I'm 21 years old. I was like, okay, let me guess. You got a jewel in your back pocket. You took a via here. You're going to, you know, you run your company, you run, you you manage your entire everything on Airtable, don't you? Like, yep, 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 yep. And yep. Right. And it's about for us, what defines our culture today. And we're not talking about cool consumer products, right? What we're really interested in is what are we spending our time looking at? And so what you see is like right now, Airtable is something that I'm super excited about because everyone's all of a sudden using Airtable because it's just like slightly easier to manage spreadsheet with a lot of other capabilities all of a sudden, 
right? And that's not, you know, you're not going to see people wearing Airtable, you know, t-shirts. I mean, maybe, you know, in some communities, but, you know, the, you're not going to be seeing people wearing that as much, but everyone's using it, right? And it's playing a central role in how we're all communicating today, right? One, a, a deal that we actually just closed, which is probably like, you know, a really good example of what is culture tech is in a company called Songclip. Um, what Songclip does is they power music as a feature in other people's apps. And so if you go on Instagram right now, right, and you can add music to your Instagram story, right? And we're already, and look at TikTok, look at Triller, right? All these other guys who are using music as a feature. That is clearly a part of our culture now. Show me a TikTok that doesn't have some kind of background music, right? Yeah. So how do, and so this company is saying, okay, we're taking what those guys did. They're multi-billion dollar companies who have rights management teams that work with the labels that have a development team that integrate all of this and make sure it's seamless in their app and yada, yada. And they put all that in, you know, a simple API. They already have the rights to the music and they have a SaaS product to report back to the labels for this stuff. And so because Songclip, who you're never going to hear about, right, other than in the press releases from the raises and whatever, who you're never going to see, you know, the Songclip logo on Instagram or whatever, they are in there and they're playing a role in what is clearly something we're doing every single day. Yeah. And so why I'm passionate about it, if that helps, um, this is what I wanted to do since I was a kid. I used to have an invention notebook as a kid where I came up with ideas for different things that I wanted to interact with to make my own life easier. Um, and so I was always fascinated with how people were spending their day to day. Um, and so to be a part of something that's investing in that and kind of getting a front row seat to how we're going to spend our days in 2022 and 2023, 2024, um, you know, beyond is really, really exciting. Okay. All right. And uh, next time you're in Beverly Hills, let me know so we can do a, a steak dinner. <laughs> exactly. Zach is trying to push me to join him on a trip to LA. So when that does happen, I'm taking up on that. I'm not trying. We're, we're doing it. <laughs> <laughs> yes. When, when, when we do it. Um, I, you, you, I will make sure that you and I get, you and I get a steak. I'm not bringing Zach, though. It's Sounds good. <laughs> All right. Cool. All right, guys. Well, I know we're over. So, Robert, really appreciate you coming in. This was awesome. The, the time flew by. So excited about our friendship, and you know, hopefully we get together. Definitely. Maybe we'll do a steak too. Definitely deal. Yeah. All right. All right. All right catch cool. you up soon. Take care. All right, guys. Yeah. See you Bye, all. Guys.